It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Hello, everyone. This is Colonel Rhett John, Colonel Rhett John, on the National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. And we have an action-packed show. Very excited about it. Uh, I just, uh, first segment's going to be on Taiwan and the outcome of the Taiwan election. And I had the honor of being over there covering it firsthand. Uh, uh, Steve Bannon's War Room and Brandon House's Worldview Tube, Worldview Television uh, sponsored the trip. Grateful to them. It was absolutely historic, memorable, and uh uh, very important for Americans to understand what happened over there and what's what's uh, may happen in the future. So I'll go over that. Uh, the second segment, we're going to go over the Taiwan situation in greater detail. And we hear Taiwan, 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 as we should. It's, it's a very important topic. We have to understand it in greater detail as Americans. It does have something to do with us. Please don't be one of these people who says it has nothing to do with us just like it's ukraine it's another they're just corrupt uh, no no they're not ukraine in any way please we have to be a little more sophisticated than that so we're going to go over this and put it to make it a little more real and then the final segment we're going to go over the world situation and essentially we have uh, 13 conflicts or flashpoints in progress right now I, my posit has been for a number of months, we are in World War III. It's not when and if World War III starts. We are in World War III. And that's, uh, uh, it's Gordon Chang who uh, talked about this. Uh, I mean, he talks about a merger of world conflicts, of, of regional conflicts into World War III, much like World War II. I think that's very true. I just, I, I feel we already are in World War III, uh, a little bit of a different angle on my part. But if so, you asked, the experts in 1938, are we in a world war? Well, they would say, no, There's there was the Great War, which was World War One. But right now in 1938, we just have regional conflicts. We have war in China, Manchuria. We have war in Ethiopia and Spain, and the German leader has reoccupied uh, the Rhineland frontier, uh, Austria and Czechoslovakia. But no, we are not at war. Well, and within a year, uh, everybody realized, yes, we, the, the world was in war. And I would say we have to really call it for what it is. Uh, we have to deal with the leadership in the White House, uh, what we have until we can um, uh, prayerfully change to a mega administration uh, in, the, in November. Uh, we got to deal with what we have and uh, use every possible tool in the toolkit to force change in action uh to minimize maximize minimize chance of conf world conflict maximize deterrence etc but we're going to go over these three so first of all let's let's go over the taiwan outcome and i have a piece you can find it on uh just uh natalie winters uh on war room uh, edited edited it uh, so you'll find it on warroom.org uh, also on brandon howe's worldview 
and uh, so I, I think the theme of the whole outcome of the uh, the election was uh, Taiwan was the third win in a row for populism. So the the, the Taiwan is the first of about forty elections in in uh, democracies around the world. Okay. Um, and kind of the climax is, of course, going to be the American election in the fall, in November. Uh, it was uh, what took place on Ta in Taiwan was a victory for democracy, a victory for Taiwan, and a victory for populism. Now, it was the third, at least, win in a row for populism. Now, I'm squeezing in events in November of 2023, such as. Uh, November 19th, a great victory by Javier Milay in Argentina. Afuera! Afuera! I love that. I love that scene with uh, Javier ripping all these uh, uh, sticky notes or magnetic stickers off, off of a uh, board to show how he's going to disassemble the deep state in Argentina. And just, I love that. Afuera! Out with you. Gone with you. Um, Department of Education, a Friday. Uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development, a Friday. That's the way. So I love that. He also had Gert Wilders, the Dutch Party uh, for, uh, Party for Freedom, who uh, uh, won in November also. So two unexpected victories. And now we have the win in Taiwan. And then if you want to include uh, Trump's uh, uh, absolute decisive win in, in Iowa and crushing the never Trumpers, the deep staters, uh, the rhinos. Uh, so we don't, we don't have a shoe in, in November. Uh, there's going to be, uh, uh, the deep staters, the globalists are going to try every trick in the book like 2020, but I think a lot of air has been let out of their tires by the absolute, um, uh, dismal performance of uh, the big guy in the White House, dissatisfaction, third-party candidates, the collapse of uh, both the uh, the Georgia case and the whole J6 narrative. That's what they're trying to play. It's all going to be about J6. No matter what the question is, the answer is J6. Insurrection. Insurrection. That's going to be their game. But with Taiwan... You know, we can uh, we can declare you always need three data points, three data points for a trend line. And so uh, uh, it definitely we're up and to the right with populism. So what you had in Taiwan was you had Lai Ching-Ti, uh, also known, usually known as William Lai. This is significant. We'll talk about this in a moment. Uh, and, and his decisive win. Now, uh, the day after the election, again, I was over there covering it as a journalist and attended, I think it was six major news conferences. And by the third one, uh, I was being called ahead of Reuters, ahead of New York Times, ahead of Wall Street Journal. And people were coming up to me, uh, hey, wow, I'd like to introduce myself. You're with, we're with War Room, you're with, uh, worldview television i said yes i am and uh, we people were taking note that's good uh, you can't let you can't surrender the floor to these legacy media junkets and 
practitioners of gate being gatekeepers of truth. No, no, we have to establish our own media, a new media, populist media. So what this out, um, news conference uh, for August Taiwan political scholars and uh, media held a, a meeting and a uh, number, let me, let me just itemize a number of these points. Now, this is also an article. This is also an article uh, that's posted. Uh, Natalie Winters uh, edited. Thank you, Natalie. It's on warroom.org, uh, and it's entitled Taiwan is a third winner in a row for populism. It's also on Worldview. Uh, just look at Worldview website, and you'll find this. Um, but let's take uh, some of the takeaways. Um, first, this was the first time that a single party, the Democratic Progressive Party, DPP, has won a third term in a row. So in, in Taiwan uh, democratic history, they've never had a party win three in a row for presidency. And don't, don't, the DPP was the Green Party, was the, that's, this is my term, make Taiwan great again party. Um, they're the populist party. They're the mega party for Taiwan. And um, there are several ca uh, candidates for the legislative Yuan who who firmly embraced Trumpism. It was beautiful. We'll talk about that. But no, don't, you know, you say, well, here, D Democratic Progressive Party, that doesn't sound conservative. It doesn't sound mega. Don't, you know, foreign parties, don't get fooled by these different expressions here. Don't get, you know, be, understand a little bit better. Uh, this is the first time also that the legislative yuan, uh, that is their legislative branch and only has one body, uh, that they uh, has no single party with a majority. This is so the DPP won, decisively won the presidency, but uh, it was uh, nobody won 57 seats. Uh, there's like uh, 113 seats in the legislative yuan. They have to have 57 for a majority. KMT got 52 DPP got 51, uh, uh, the Taiwan People's Party got eight, and then there was two independents, and, uh, and, but they kind of sided the KMT. But so uh, the experts, the four experts, well, I mean, I've never seen this. There's never been, uh, this is the first time that no one won a, a singular majority. So uh, this is a new thing for Taiwan, and uh, what's gonna happen, it remains to be seen. So uh, the DPP, the Make Taiwan Great Apart Party, the Legacy Kuomintang, the KMT, Chiang Kai-shek's party firmly in the pocket of, of uh, China, lost and re really is considered now a fading, declining party. And we went, it was pretty hard to find their rallies. Uh, and they were pretty, uh, nothing against old people, but uh, having a whole bunch of old people uh, in wheelchairs at your gathering, it's, you know, you should show a stratification of your demographic from the whole spectrum, not just, uh, it was pretty ancient and I'm ancient, so I can say those things. I'm not being an ageist. So, uh, um, it, uh, so I, I suspect, uh, the TPP had eight seats. I'm kind of leaning toward the, uh, the DPP and the TPP forming a coalition to, uh, have a majority. Now, this is the first time that someone with an English name, William Lai, won a major position in election. Uh, this is significant in the Taiwan psyche, and the, the four scholars immediately pointed this out. Um, 
now uh, William he's normally normal William Lie Bill Lie but for an entire campaign and on the uh, actual ballot he was uh, Lai uh, Ching Ti Lai being his last name but that's in Asian uh, world and normally it's last name first surname first and then the the uh, given name and uh so he, but he was, it's the first time that somebody who regularly used an English name won, and that's, it's important. Uh, Taiwan is a dual language country, Mandarin, classic Mandarin, and that's important because the Chinese communists are, are really butchering Mandarin. And then um, English. Now, I think the English proficiency fell after the 71 decision to walk away from Taiwan. By Nixon and Kissinger, which I think in hindsight was not the best choice, because uh, Taiwan really wants to be part of America. I'll talk about that in a moment. And I think English proficiency has fallen, but it's gotten better. 2014, they declared themselves a dual language country, and uh, they're back on the road to being much better in English. Um, again, the DPP decisively won the presidency by seven points. Uh, that is, and William Lai and his uh, vice presidential candidate, candidate Xiao uh, uh, Bai Kim, who uh, China does not like either of them at all. And officially, they are declared and entitled uh, troublemakers, uh, which is a badge of honor. Um, all three parties had a platform of significantly increased defense spending. Even the KMT, and the, and we'll talk about this, the KMT uh, even said increased defense spending, even though they fought, have fought tooth and nail the DPP on defense spending, especially new submarines. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. The TPP actually had a numeric of going from 2.5 to 3% of GDP for uh, defense spending. That's a pretty healthy increase. DPP had kind of uh, postured themselves as the uh, as the middle of the road candidate uh, uh, party between uh, the uh, independents possibly seeking uh, um, uh, uh, decoupling from China uh, DPP and then the KMT, which is viewed as being in the pocket of China. Um, the pressure on the u.s defense industrial base and weapons delivery is noticeable they notice it Ch taiwan has paid for a lot of weapons and not received them yet um so the defense uh, the pressure on the u.s defense industrial base with ukraine the middle east and taiwan going on uh, is noticeable however taiwan has an incredible industrial capacity and could very easily help out america by actually making under license uh, a lot of these weapons that they've actually already bought uh, uh, and in addition making them and selling them right back to america that could be a big help along with south korea along with japan along with australia um, so um, the dpp or the tpp was showing was significant largest third party ever and they took eight seats in the legislative yuan china there was multiple attempts by china to interfere in the election now they were kind of quiet but at the end of december 
Xi made a very uh, of China made a very bellicose statement, and and really in the, in the week preceding the election, uh, even during one of the news conferences, there was an an, an an national amber alert in Taiwan of a missile launch, uh, which caused absolute pandemonium in a uh, in one of the news conferences. There was a missile launch, uh, uh, but now it it looks like it was possibly a satellite launch. Still, the arc went over uh, over Taiwan. It showed that the uh, alert system works. There was some problems with the language of the in both Mandarin and English version describing what exactly happened. Um, but uh, that was definitely one. But there's also some very strong statements, including one like one just a couple of days in advance by the People's Liberation Army, uh, which I don't. I think that definitely helped the D- DPP. Um, yeah, all these attempts of malign influence, uh, you know did not help the KMT. Now there was a ghost written article in foreign affairs, the globalist journal of the uh, council on foreign affairs. Um, it was, uh, it was for, uh, uh, who you, uh, the, uh, KMT candidate. Uh, I can assure you that was not his article it was ghost written. And it was essentially, a vote for me is a vote for peace. A vote you vote for William Lyon, the DPP. It's a vote for war. Very uh, stark contrast, and straight out of the 1984 Democratic campaign against Ronald Reagan. The biggest concern for the young, young are job opportunities and housing prices. Uh, many Taiwanese, especially the DPP, consider Taiwan already already a sovereign, independent nation. They don't need to ask anybody's permission to be a nation. They already are. This is a big issue, big deal, and I think our United States uh, United States policy on Taiwan needs to resolve the tired old talking points of the State Department are are which are not law. They are talking points. Um, really, really. I mean, they need to evolve. It just. And I, and I do, I will say Tony Blinken's statement after the election was, was reasonable and good. Uh, the big guy statement, Biden, his statement was factually incorrect. Uh, Taiwan is not America's to give independence to or not give independence to. And that's the statements like that are not in accordance with U.S. law, specifically the Taiwan Relations Act of 1979 or the 23 and 24 National Defense Authorizations Act. So I, I just Biden really blew it. But that was one of his staffers in the White House who blew it and just used um, because he said, we're not in favor of independence, really uh, not U.S. Policy, uh, law or policy to make comments like that. Wrong, 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 wrong. But United States policy needs to evolve and those tired old talking points that I used to have to deal with need to go away. You, Taiwan needs to be represented it's somehow in the UN. We need to work on that and populism is on the rise. So there you go. That was the outcome of the election. And we'll be right back on the National Security Hour. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. 
world-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Lean, pure, with premium ingredients, Global Healing's Pure Plant Protein offers 20 grams of protein per scoop, and it's a perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself. It combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption, improving digestion, and your gut health. Available in vanilla and chocolate flavors, elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back, everyone. This is Colonel Rhett John, Colonel Rhett John, for the uh, National Security Hour on America Out Loud News Network. So in the second segment, I wanted to go over the Taiwanese situation. Now, we hear about Taiwan, 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 but not a whole lot of details. And we don't, you know, so what? What about Taiwan? And let's, let's try to be a little more uh, specific um, so you know, I, I've, I've known Taiwan. I have several different interesting connections to Taiwan. Uh, my great uncle, the brother of my grandfather on my mother's side, spent a number of years inside of China during the war um, as the adjutant to General Stilwell, who, as we all know, worked and loved Chiang Kai-shek so much. Actually, they fought like uh, they fought like squabbling children. Uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, neither of them were really right or wrong in this. Uh, they both had uh, interesting uh, character flaws, as we all do. But uh, uh, that's it was my great uncle and uh, Colonel Mills uh, uh, had an August Army career and uh, spent several years doing that. So got to know Chiang Kai Shek pretty well. Um, also, uh, I spent several years when I was in the Department of Defense. Part of my portfolio was being the cyber liaison from the Office of Secretary of Defense to the Taiwan Ministry of National Defense. So I got, got, got to know them, again, pretty well. And uh, so uh, first time I traveled to Taiwan, it was like 1979-1980, on a merchant vessel, an American President Line ship, which uh, I don't think – can't remember if APL exists anymore, but uh, but uh, I was a, a, a young teenager, had the Port Club, Propeller Club, a, a club of the Seattle Port Industries, uh, had an essay contest, I entered one, and was given a trip on a container ship. Uh, actually, it was very nice accommodations. I was not inside a container uh, uh, from Seattle, Alaska, Japan, Taiwan, and back. It was an incredible trip. 
So let's talk about Taiwan. Now, first of all, one of the evolving things, let's talk about reunification. That is a, so China always says reunify. That is a factual, factually incorrect statement. There is no such thing as reunification. Taiwan uh, has never been part of communist China, nor really the mainland. Uh, it has a very interesting history. It's always this mysterious island off the coast that many of the dynasties, the Chinese dynasties, essentially uh, forbade travel uh, off, and they actually forbade the construction of real ocean-going ships. Now, there was uh, uh, fisher men who would go uh, go uh, travel and you know, would arrive on the island, and there was some nominal interchange. But essentially, Taiwan was really this thing that was just mysterious, really not part of anything. And uh, was just not part of uh, was just not part of uh, China and the mainland. It was many ways more uh, related to uh, related to Japan, and um, uh, you know, well over uh, you know since the mid eighteen hundreds, was really had a, a close relationship to Japan. So anything about reunification is absolutely factually incorrect, and. Uh, so that's just one thing. But, you know, in the past, China just wanted to invade and blow up and destroy and kill everybody. Now, now they, they have this conundrum because they need, not only do they want Taiwan as a political statement, she needs it to demonstrate he's accomplished something and break, break right now inside of China, an absolute uh, tumult of palace intrigue is occurring as she just uh, butchers his inner leadership seeking generals and admirals he had now as an admiral as a senior military uh um leader essentially the chairman of the joint chiefs equivalent and also as uh the commander of the strategic rocket forces are both admirals uh unique first but she is on a rampage finding war uh, uh admirals and generals who will do what he says about invading taiwan but the conundrum is they need microchips and when you say computer chips, microchips, no matter what, it's TSMC of Taiwan is the world leader uh, uh, of making microchips. And we got a, a special chance to have a special executive uh, tour uh, of uh, one of the Sinchow, uh, essentially uh, one of the first large facilities for TSMC and these facilities are massive but TSMC it's something in the water just like the Swiss have just become world-renowned watchmakers uh, uh, making computer chips is very very complex time-consuming expensive capital intensive and they have just perfected this they have just gotten good at it uh and and especially you know with the high-end chips as you're cutting edge you know as it goes yeah seven nanometers five nanometers three nanometers the cutting edge is three nanometers uh that's just a lot more processing power in a much smaller area and the next generation is twos but you still have a lot of larger chips in play you know 128 uh, uh 200 and above uh which are used for uh you know, uh, uh, mundane, simpler uh, appliances, tasks, etc. But the 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 science and art of chip making is just fascinating. We got a chance to, s to visit the plant, but China needs these chips, 
the Biden team has not only continued Trump's policies on, on, on a number of things, but they've really, really crushingly come down on export of microchips to uh, China. And it's just China's trying to figure out, hey, we paid you, we paid your son, and now you're kicking us in the shin and punching us in the face when it comes to microchips, which we need as a dual-use product, both for weapons and for commercial product. We're starving. Uh, we need these. So the conundrum again, how do you invade Taiwan and take these magnificent, incredible, massive TSMC plants and the workforce and their families without damaging them, without being sullied? And, uh, and that's, that's the challenge. So um, wrote an op-ed again i mentioned that uh, uh you'll see videos on uh video videos on both uh, worldview and war room uh but uh, the, the so the plants are massive and i was outside of one scene and we took a took a, took a scanning uh, uh video of the outside and it was just these plants are massive if you've ever been to boeing everett these plants could gobble up boeing everett um and uh, each one of these is there's about five, there's about six major, five or six major clusters of this, these, t I call them clusters because um, the, the, the videos of me outside this one massive building, uh, that building is just one of many for that cluster. It's incredible. And uh, so not just the building, but these, this, this cluster of very, very massive, massive, uh, just windowless, you know, these, these, these are warehouse like buildings, but on a, on a huge scale, much bigger, you know, you're driving down the freeway, you see a distribution center much bigger. And there's six of those, uh, uh at least in uh, Taiwan. And uh, so, so China needs to take these plants and um, do it without destroying them, uh, without, you know, gotta have to take the workforce alive and their families. That is unique in military conflict. I can't even think of a parallel where a country invaded another country and yet could not do damage, harm, killing. Uh, it's just, it's contrary to what, how military operations normally work. So that planet Sinshu is essentially 100 miles from the mainland. It's, uh, so that's well within rocket, uh, missile range, uh, aircraft strikes. And all these plants are on the west coast facing uh, China. And uh, the geography of uh, Taiwan is very interesting. I mean, most of it in the middle and on the Pacific side, the east side uh, is very mountainous and hilly. And most of the usable plain, I mean, flat areas is a thin coastal strip from top to bottom on the west coast facing China. 24 million people in this strip. Uh, and then there's a few other areas uh, also, but uh, the Elon kind of flat area to the top right. But most of the rest of the island is, is mountainous, very, very very hard terrain and uh the basic strategy is upon invasion and landing on the beaches or attempting airborne or special operations raids is to retreat into the mountains uh reorganize and then counterattack and drive them off the beaches that's basically the concept so there's basically about one two three four five six seven there's about seven or eight or nine 
airfields. Some of these are kind of uh, uh, Chinese airfields that will be crucial for any form of invasion. And um, I mean, they are, there's Kuzhou, Wuishan, Langtian, Huyan, Zhangzhou, Zhangjing, um, and uh, also uh, um, Baidabu. Uh, I'm butchering these names probably on Waisha, Guangdou. Um, so um, that's uh, <clears throat> yeah, about nine airfields. Now, all of these are within about uh, 400, 500 miles at most, these key airfields that China will need to you project air power over Taiwan and is doing so currently very aggressively challenging the airspace, also running a continuous drone encirclement. And I think that's one of the reasons Taiwan needs to be in the United Nations, especially specifically ICAO, International Civil Airlines Organization. This matter needs to be addressed. So I'm, as I'm flying to and from Taiwan, this drone encirclement, and these are big would be or a car high altitude long endurance drones these are big global hawk drones these are not little dji toy drones these are big ones and what flight levels are they operating and how are they interfering with civil air traffic so important questions reason why taiwan needs to be an ikeo in the un but you got to realize that about 200 miles off the uh east coast of taiwan into the into the pacific is where the surveillance and even possibly the engagement range starts for chinese air defense missiles uh so they could essentially cover taiwan and into the pacific approaches to taiwan which is important because as we america executes uh contingency plans war plans to reinforce taiwan and all these people are like we're not going to do anything uh yeah uh sorry that's just there's already existing uh plans in place and uh despite the incompetence of the the occupant of the white house uh, uh this will involve america i guarantee it so and it, it should involve america we need to we have it's u.s law we'll defend taiwan and uh, uh we need to be a country of our word and uh be trusted and that's once we get mega back in the white house we need to work on statecraft so nations trust us and uh, really bad at that another story though but again the air defense reaches way off and this is where general minahan of air mobility command has talked about getting his transport force of c5 c17 c130s into fighting mode because our our transport aircraft will very likely come under fire and where they need to be now they already are really fitted with uh self-defense flares and chaff but maybe even lasers maybe even air-to-air -air missiles so they can because those drones encircling taiwan uh can be equipped with air-to-air -air and air-to-surface weapons so this is why minahan's is putting his war fight his transports on a uh war fighting mode and and uh attitude um so and briefly about any uh, how do you handle the defense of taiwan there, we now have four you would call them forward operating bases that can provide direct fire support and uh, basing support to taiwan i call them fobs forward operating bases we have okinawa ishigaki Basco and the Philippines, uh, Northern Luzon, uh, Okinawa. I mean, most people know Okinawa. I mean, that's a, a very, very extensive American uh, 
Air Force uh, and Marine facilities, also very robust Japanese military presence. And, and again, Japan will fight if Taiwan is invaded. Uh, that They consider that an existential threat to Japan. South Korea will fight. South Korea and Japan are working very closely together. But you have forward operating base Ishigaki, which is just to the top right shoulder of Taiwan, I call it. And that's essentially the southernmost Japanese islands, and it's being reinforced, fortified airfields and missiles. Maybe the American Typhoon system, which is a combination of the classic trusted Tomahawk and the newer SM6, which is uh, uh, that beautiful, beautiful standard missile that uh, has a very long range, considered a, a hypersonic or near hypersonic, can be used against aircraft, ships, and uh, ground targets and moving targets on the ground. Uh, incredible system. And uh, unclear on the range on that. Uh, we're, we're a little coy at the exact range, but um, that'll be a very effective weapon if based on Ishigaki. Then you have Basco, which a lot of people don't know. Philippines have little small islands all the way up to all the mid midway point. So they're only about 70 miles off of Taiwan to the to the bottom left shoulder. Uh, uh, Basco is being uh, uh, essentially prepared and equipped by American and Filipino forces, maybe the typhoon system. And then we now have an agreement for four base camps, uh, mainland proper, the Philippines. And I call them engagement area one and engagement area two, but essentially uh, it's all about controlling the top end of the the, the, uh, the uh, Taiwan Straits, which is 100 miles and the bottom uh, approach, the Taiwan Straits is about 125 miles. You block that with mines, you really, really cause a lot of problems for the Chinese invasion. You just put four or five, six mines on each end. Um, yeah, we're in the U.S. Navy is really rediscovering mining, and uh, these are a lot of these are advanced mines, which essentially use some of our. Uh, I think it's Mark Fifty Four, short range torpedo, very advanced, high performance. Uh, but the Chinese want to also uh, not only leverage an encirclement, but a station carriers. They almost got the third carrier into service, but have one on. Uh, top and bottom, and then one on the Pacific Ocean side. And that way, that, that gives them a fi uh, naval f force that can project air power all around. But that's what we're going to have to deal with. Most likely, landing spots uh, is uh, uh, is close to Taipei uh, on, on any beaches. But I would expect any special operations, airborne raids around the the five or six major. Uh, TSMC clusters. Also, uh, seizure of Matsu and Kinmen, which are Taiwanese islands just off the coast. Those are actually counties. Uh, they use the term county, but also Pengu, which is kind of a large island in the kind of the middle of the bottom strait. But also on the Pacific Ocean side, you have Suwao, which is a large naval complex for Taiwan and provides immediate access to the deep Pacific Ocean. That's a likely target for. Uh, uh, China and any kind of invasion. So I just wanted to kind of go over some of these details uh, and kind of an overview uh, of this uh, for everybody. And again, you, know, you got uh, five or six large uh, TSMC chip sites, which are really, really uh, what they're looking for. So we'll be right back shortly uh, with the National Security Hour. This is Colonel Rhett John. suppression of truth and a world of darkness 
void of any soul requires that we are rightly informed, properly equipped, and strongly motivated to fight the corruption. AmericaOutloud.news is that place to awaken your heart, soul, and mind to the Outloud truth. Now is our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Call Red John back on the National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. In this final segment, I wanted to go over the world situation. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want this to be a optimist, uh, optimistic, positive um, assessment. I don't want to get people down or get people all worried. Um, but uh, we need to be realistic. And as Churchill said, we need to be honest with the people here and uh, forthright. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, we're essentially a world at war, whether we recognize it, realize it or want it. Um, I'm uh, not a forever war person anyway. Don't want, uh, I think, uh, although I had a career in national security, I think, uh, the viewpoint of, of President Trump uh, and identifying the phenom of forever war was brilliant and very true and accurate. Uh, but as Trump uh, would also say, we need a very powerful military, a powerful a military so powerful and capable that nobody starts a war. We don't have that now between CRT, DEI, DEI wokeism. Um, our military is, dis, is um, degraded. Um, we're just seeing so much evidence of that. But the, the reality is we are a world uh, in conflict. I already say that we are in World War III, not when or if World War III happens. We're already there. And again, uh, Gordon Chang is the one who has identified the merger of regional conflict into World War Three, which I think is also very wise and sagacious. Um, it was if you ask somebody in 1938, "Are we at war?" No, they'd say, "No, no, we just have all these regional conflicts." It's not. It's not like the Great War because at that time, until there was World War Two, they didn't call World War One World War One. They called it the Great War, and uh, <clears throat> so. Uh, um, but even the experts in 1938 would have realized, hey, there is a world war going on. And right now there's a world war going on. 
So let me go over uh, the 13 regional conflicts or volatile flashpoints in progress that need just a little more gas thrown on them and it's a full-blown conflict. Um, so let's go over them. <clears throat> Starting with the European and Middle Eastern theater, some would say South Asia, we have uh, oper I call it Operation Number One, and it's the war in Ukraine. And I just, everybody goes, oh, it's Zelensky's corrupt. He's a WEFer. Putin's a savior. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get a little more sophisticated on what's going on here. You have to look at Ukraine as operation number one of China's war to take down America, peaceful or otherwise. Putin is a diminutive subcontractor. Um, Putin is the Benito Mussolini to the senior leader of China. No question about it, people. Now, please, please. Some will say, oh, Putin's our friend. He's doing us a favor. Absolutely not. Uh, I am not being a defender of Zelensky in any way, shape, or form. Uh, um, Zelensky has a lot of corruption issues. There is corruption issues in the Ukraine, but there's also a lot of, in the Russian enclaves, when I was uh, in office, a lot of the nefarious behavior in Ukraine emanated from the Russian enclaves inside of Ukraine, but you, Ukraine received the blame for it. But yeah, there's pr plenty of fraud, waste, and abuse. And now that we have an inspector general appointed to oversee the aid, we right off the bat uncovered a million, a billion dollars worth of lost weapons, which did show up in Hamas, uh, with Hamas. So uh, again, I'm not I'm totally neutral on, on, on taking sides. Uh, the strategic takeaway is Ukraine is all about, that was step one in the Operation Take Down America. And now Putin said, hey, Mr. Xi, at their meeting in November of uh, uh, 2021, I will, I will give you Ukraine in 72 hours. And two years later, here we are. And everybody's saying, well, you, Russia's winning. Russia's winning. Um, uh, I, I would call it a stalemate on the ground. Uh, now, in the air and on the sea, Ukraine has repeatedly shown uh, innovation, daring, and success. But overall, it's a uh, it's a standstill on the ground. It's a grinding conflict, massive losses on both sides, and Russia, frankly, doesn't care how much how many people die on its side. It's it's sad, tragic, but the Russian way. So that's conflict one, but wait, there's a lot more. Gaza Hamas, October 7th. You have to look at that in context of China gave the green light for all the Middle East theater of conflict after the debacle of the American departure, a horrific departure, which I think there still needs to be accountability for, just like the lies of January 6th and the lies uh, uh, around the, the November 20 election on uh, election malappropriation, which there was great amounts of. Good to see the Georgia case falling apart. Um, truth is getting out on January 6th as the videos are released. But um, uh, there needs to be accountability for the absolute abject 
disaster of the American departure from Afghanistan, which told China, hey, we don't care. America doesn't care. America's not going to get involved. And the big guy in the White House is corrupt, bought off, mentally uh, uh, lacks mental cognitive abilities, etc. But Gaza, uh, the attack into Israel on October 7th was, that was all about a year plus of preparation overseen by Iran at the direction of China. That's what this was all about. So that was the the second point of conflict. Now, I think, I don't know, so three is essentially driving America out of the Middle East by force, which is what's going on. There is a concerted attack on our base camp infrastructure inside of Iraq and Syria, which President Trump rightly had shut down and we had departed. There was no strategic uh, reason to have these base camps uh, in uh, Syria or Iraq. And Mattis was just obsessed with being a captain instead of being um, um, the uh, uh, congressionally confirmed leader, uh, civilian leader of the Department of Defense. Um, there's no reason for us to be in Iraq and Syria after the destruction of, uh, of ISIS and uh, getting people like Baghdadi and uh, Soleimani. We need to project force, do the job, get out. Um, but right now, and we now have ballistic missiles being fired from Iran into both Iraq and Syria attacking uh, American base camps, which shouldn't be there anyway. But now that they're under attack, we need to call it for what it is. This is a concerted effort to drive America out of the Middle East. But um, simultaneously, we also have this, I call it the the largest attack on merchant shipping since the Battle of the North Atlantic in World War II. We have, um, well, well, and almost close to 30 attacks now. Um, and now we got like the fifth iteration of american airstrikes which these we have to think bigger bolder and more decide, uh strategic uh airstrikes uh they look good make good for good camera footage for media but uh that is not a strategic end state um but this is it's out of, absolutely out of control and again driving america out the attack on merchant shipping that's iran using its proxies of the somalis the houthis um Hezbollah, Hamas, those are all proxies for Iran, which is a proxy for China. Uh, But it's showing that our Navy is not feared. Our Navy is stretched thin. And uh, one of the biggest crises we have in national security is is the failure to build up our Navy, despite working on this for almost 10 years. Um, So it's another issue. But so there's, there's another conflict. So and wrapping up the European theater, and south asia middle east is the next step from ukraine and i uh, suspect it's going to be most likely a push from belarus which is a a captive partner of russia uh, a drive by russian and belarus forces uh, across the gap to create a land bridge to kaliningrad kaliningrad is this soviet enclave it's the old konigsberg but uh, Russia has sat on it since World War II, and in the Russian psyche, they literally feel if they depart, the nanosecond they depart from Kaliningrad, Herr Hitler will literally jump from the grave and Nazism will rise up again and destroy Russia. I mean, it's 
I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, that's really in the Russian psyche. Uh, um, they literally feel if they leave Kaliningrad, the old Konigsberg, which was the, they consider the birthplace of uh, Nazism and Hitlerism, uh, the Hitler will rise from the grave. Um, but I think they will push through. That'll essentially seize parts of Poland and Lithuania. That will trigger uh, NATO response, which is full-blown World War III. Um, they might go against uh, Estonia, the top Baltic Republic. Uh, and I know about that. I've also been to these areas. I had to spend a lot of time in uh, uh, Estonia and the Baltics. Um, they might strike into Sweden and Finland. Uh, but that uh, that will definitely be world war, uh, uh, obvious visible world war. It'll be undeniable at that point in time. So that's just the that's just the uh, European, South Asian, Middle East uh, theater of conflict. Okay, let's go on to the Pacific theater, which is also a weekly show I do with uh, uh, Todd Wood on Creative Destruction Media, Pacific Sitrep. But um, I mean, we've obviously talked about Taiwan a lot, but let's talk about three other areas that are uh, flashpoints of immediate conflict in Asia. And it's first of all, the Korean Peninsula. Um, and uh, the, the just the, uh, the North Korean dictator, uh, um, Kim Il Jun. Um, there's so many Kims, I, 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 I remember having to deal with his grandfather, father, and now him, absolute psychopaths. Uh, but psychopaths with nuclear weapons, they just demonstrated a Poseidon-like capability. That's the uh, Russian nuclear-powered, nuclear-armed, supersize undersea drone that could blow up in one of our harbors or create a tsunami right out of our harbor with a nuclear warhead. Uh, they, they've dem they just, in the last couple of days, demonstrated a Poseidon equivalent. Um, but, uh, Kim is, uh, now declared, uh, reunification is not, he's not even interested. He just wants to destroy South Korea. And this is the South Koreans, uh, have successfully recaptured through the election process. Uh, they now have a proper conservative government that is getting South Korea ready. And they're building up a magnificent military, an army and a Navy. That's just incredible. And they are also, which I find stunning, uh, in my work with South Korea and Japan, uh, getting them to talk uh, because of bad feelings from World War II is always difficult. They are now very closely working together. It's it's beautiful. It's a lovely thing. Um, and Japan is building up a uh, is is just rapidly building up its military because they both of these countries realize um, they uh, face an existential threat that will destroy their nations. Um, and with the American nuclear umbrella being uh, quite flimsy and filled with holes and unclear uh, with uh, the big guy in the White House, uh, they are rapidly building up their militaries. Um, so this North Korea has also become the primary weapons supplier to uh, uh, Russia as they have exhausted uh, their industrial base and, and their needs far outpace their capacity to provide things. And uh, so North Korea is just, uh, we're on a path to war there uh, shortly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Another area in the Pacific is the Philippines. So the Philippines, uh, with uh, uh, President uh, Marcos, uh, who is related to the former uh, dictator Marcos that 
you know, um, ruled until the eighties, the Philippines, but Mark, the, the, I believe it's the son, um, um, uh, has just been, uh, the previous president, uh, was just kind of all over the place, but in the end did not like China after cozying up to China and realizing it was a total, uh, uh, disaster. Uh, but president Marcos has been very, very vocal about being, wanting to be an ally of the U S and building their capacity, uh, and as now wants America to, to occupy a number of new base camps. These are not old base camps like Clark air force base, uh, or Subic Bay, although we essentially are returning to Subic Bay. Um, and then also the magnificent South Korean shipyard, uh, in Subic Bay, um, which is very likely going to be producing warships for America, uh, more to follow on that. But, uh, the Chinese just offshore at, uh, Scarborough and second Thomas Shoals, um, are, which are just a hundred miles off of, uh, 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 the Philippines are well within the economic zone. They have essentially occupied, and there is just a very aggressive shoving contest going on. It has not been broken into weapons yet, but fire hoses, ramming, uh, everything's going on, and uh, get ready. And if I was a Chinese planner, I'd say, why invade Taiwan when the Philippines are not up to snuff yet? and uh, much less equipped and armed in the American base camps. We may have the Typhoon missile system there already not clear but the american base camps are, are, are primitive at this point in time uh, land on the philippines and luzon seize that island then you've 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 begun an encirclement of taiwan uh, next in the pacific is singapore which uh is a they call themselves the official term uh, all the times i travel to singapore we always use the term strategic partner that is the agreed upon terminology uh, believe me they want to be with america they don't want to be uh they don't want to be with uh china and um the choke point there is the straits of malacca which down to you know like a mile mile and a half at its narrowest points and china's lifeblood for oil passes through this and the singaporeans have a very powerful military that could cut that off real quick and the only solution for china is invade but i think that's really challenging them mounting any kind of invasion force i think it'll get schwacked by uh singapore singapore has a lot of forces military forces stationed in the united states for the very purpose of being an immediate response force for singapore so that they will be safe in the united states until they are called and then needed and then sent forward so let's finish it off here uh in the americas in our front yard just some horrible things happening venezuela uh, threatened to invade guiana venezuela is a client state of china the panama canal is very vulnerable we have chinese military and intelligence activities in cuba 90 miles off the coast maybe even their long-range air defense systems are already there which could hit airliners all the way to uh, uh orlando and then we have an absolute out of control southern border invasion going on along with chinese special operators and the, the drug cartels that are now working for china and under the suit direct supervision of china so ladies and gentlemen there you go that's the world in conflict that is world war three which i say is already in progress so thank you so much this is colonel rhett john the national security hour for america out loud news network